All right, we, um, I want to share, I've shared a nickname, not, not long ago I shared about a nickname, Pickle, that I had, which I'm not real proud of, but I wanted to share with you a person, I would say in our family that has the most nicknames. This is, this is Frank, these are some, I picked some of my favorite picks. I want you to get like the, I want you to get the variety of Frank, <laughs> of his uh, life. Frank uh, has been in our family for a few years now. Um, Frank was, uh, was a rescue dog who came in and we love him to death. He's got some uh, rescue dog things going on. So he's not always, if you meet Frank, he might love you and he might not love you. Because uh, you might remind him of someone who wasn't very nice to him. Uh, we love him. Our girls love dressing him up like a unicorn or snuggling with him. This is like one of his favorite things to lay in a chair like this, like he's dead. <laughs> but he's not dead. Um, and sometimes when he's having a rough day, he just needs me to hold him like a toddler. We love this guy. And he probably, I would say, uh, unintentionally, our family has just created a huge amount of nicknames for him. I don't know if any of you have a pet that maybe just has lots of names. And it really depends on what Frank is doing or like even our mood or the situation. Frank came to our house and he's officially named, his legal name is Frank Hank Zolke. Um, his other name is Frank the Tank. He came to us as Frank the Tank because he's kind of a tank. Sometimes we call him Tank Man. He's also known in our house affectionately as Frankenstein, Frankie, the Frankster, Frankintosh, Franklin, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Sometimes we just call him FDR. <laughs> Doesn't he look like a dog version of him, though, if, he was, if you were going to pick? Because of that, sometimes I call him Mr. President, which is kind of a lot of layers there. He's become known as Bubba, Bubs, Butters, Poochie Poo, Goomba. I don't know. Those are just names that just came. They just come out when you're with him. New names just come out. There's times in our house he's known as Poop Factory or Poopers. My mom likes to call him Arfy Arfhound. That's a mystery. I don't know where that's from. There's also times in our house where Frank is not the coolest dog in the world. He's called Silly Dog. Sometimes you just yell the word you, like exclamation points. You! Because you don't even want to say his name. Dumb Dog. And sometimes affectionately he's called Butthole uh, because of something he just did. Often if Frank, you know, we come home to a pile of something Frank created. Uh, he's called one of those last names. His name, those names really are connected often to, uh, uh, oh, Cuddles is one that's often called when he looks like this second picture. We just want to snuggle up with him. Sometimes those change really quickly. Like he goes from like, uh, you know, FDR to poopers in one second because you realize something happened um, in our house. This name, because names mean something, right? I'm sure if you share the story of a nickname, there's a kind of meaning behind it. There's a connection behind it. Sometimes those are really great things. Sometimes those are moments maybe you're not thrilled that you have a nickname from. They kind of express the current state of a relationship with a person. I know I have friends who, uh, in their own history, you kind of know who knows them when because of their name. Like maybe their name was, was Matt when they were a kid. They're called like Maddie. And then, so if you meet people who call him Maddie, you know, like, oh, you knew him when he was a kid. Um, so today we are in the book of, of Hosea, we're in our second week of it, and we're going to hear some names. Uh, and these aren't real great nicknames. They're actually not even nicknames, they're the actual names that Hosea's kids are going to be named. Last week we started with just a history of the book, a little bit of how, what we're getting into with Hosea, and this history of God's people turning away from God, being unfaithful to God. And then we heard about, we were kind of abruptly just introduced to this prophet, 
He's one of the minor prophets. In, the, in Scripture, we have these major prophets, and then we have these books of the Bible we call minor prophets. They're often uh, a little shorter books. There's just these kind of moments in time where God uses this person, a prophet, to speak to his people. Sometimes not always just to speak, but kind of act out this, uh, what God wants us to know. And today, we're going to continue the story of Hosea and his wife, Gomer, uh, and we're going to jump right back into it. This is Hosea 2, and this is really kind of the beginning of the story. And this is a story of God reminding his people that they have been unfaithful, adulterous, and that he is still faithful, that God is a faithful husband and, and what he feels about us. And so here's the beginning of our story. If you have a Bible and you want to turn, turn to Hosea, um, otherwise all the scripture will be right up on the screen. Uh, here we go, Hosea uh, verse one, or chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, so God came to Hosea and he says to him, go marry a promiscuous woman, or the translation says, a woman of many lovers or an adulterous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So right out of the gate, he just tells us, this is what this is going to be about. It's going to be about a husband who's still faithful to an adulterous wife. And why? Because I want to show off to you what you all are to me. You're really unfaithful to me as God, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm still faithful and with you. And so as the story begins here, uh, last week we started that, and now it continues for us. So the so, Hosea says, no way, that sounds terrible. He listens, he obeys God, and he says, and so it tells us, so he married Gomer the daughter of Diblain, and she conceived and bore him a son. So that's a lot of story. All just happens like this, right? So he does. He says, okay, I'll marry this woman, and I will have a child with her. So Hosea and Gomer have a child, and then the Lord comes to Hosea and says, okay, you're going to call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. That's a lot of stuff going on. So he says, hey, name him Jezreel. And before Hosea, hey, why that name? He says, oh, because, this is a wild reason to name a kid, because I'm going to punish the house of Jehu, and there's a massacre involved, and there's going to be an end to a kingdom. That seems like a not very magical moment, right? A child is born and you come into the hospital room and then you say like, what'd you name him? And it's like, oh, we named him Joe. It's a family name. We named him Jezreel after the massacre. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> that's very sweet. There might be some kids who a name like that might be a little more appropriate, but you wouldn't know that till later in life, right? Um, he's named after Jezreel. So what's the significance there? Well, Jezreel is the name of a place where there was a massacre that occurred. Actually, there was a person that God raised up, Jehu, and he said, hey, I want you to go. This land is unfaithful to me. They're worshiping idols. These people are, are not kind to the people around them. They're not ruling well. I want you to take that place back for me. And they do, but they don't do it in the way God has called them to. In fact, they do, and they just do the same thing. They just kill a whole bunch of people, and they take over power, and they enslave people. God says, it's not at all what I want. And so this place called Jezreel becomes known as a place of bloodshed, a place of, of murder, a place of massacre. And so in their time, in that moment in history, when Hosea is, has a child, God says, I want you to name them Jezreel. He's saying, I want you to name this child 
after the place that is famous for massacre and bloodshed, for murder. It'd be, it's similar, like the way that that word means so much more than just the name of the city, is you think of like the word like Watergate. Right? If you hear Watergate, right, you don't think of like an office building. You know, it's like, wasn't that an office building somewhere? Right? You think of like this whole thing that happened, right? A scandal and espionage and, and politics all together. In fact, we use the word gate now, right, to just illustrate that something's scandalous. Even to the point of like, if let's say a football was deflated slightly in order to win a game, hypothetically, you might call it inflate gate, right? And you could just say inflate gate and you know, ooh, that has something to do with inflating things and it's scandalous. And so in their time, by saying Jezreel, you are saying something that has a lot of weight to it, a a lot of history to it. And not just that name, but you just said name a child after this terrible event, after this historic event that everyone in the area knows about. You just said name your child bloodshed or murder or massacre. Well, it doesn't end there, folks. Hosea uh, and Gomer, the story continues. Now Gomer goes on to conceive again, and she gave birth to a daughter. We actually don't know um, in the language here if that means uh, that it was Hosea's child or not. There's some, some assume, some scholars assume that it isn't because of the, it didn't say Hosea and Gomer had a child. And because of the history, you know, of Gomer uh, being unfaithful, they're assuming this could, this could be indicating like this isn't even Hosea's kid. We don't know that though. For, we don't know which way. It's interesting to think about, though. Gomer then again, though, had another child. This was a daughter. And the Lord comes again and says, I'd like you to name her this. You name the other kid, Bloodshed. This one I want you to call her Lo-Ruoma. Oh, okay. That's not a big deal, except that that means not loved or unloved. That word can also mean not, no compassion or compassionless. The root word for this word actually is womb. It's like motherly compassion and love. And so it's saying, I want you to name your child no motherly compassion or love, or not loved. Do you imagine naming a kid not loved? Well, why? Well, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses or horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. God says, I want you to name your second child. After your first, you have your, your little one running around called bloodshed, and now I want you to name this one no love because I'm not going to continue showing love to Israel. That seems really harsh. Could you imagine? I was studying this this week uh, with friends, and one of them is a mother, and she said, I cannot imagine holding my child, and then God saying, hey, I want you to name that kid unloved. Like, you want my kid to live their life, the name unloved? This is a point where we want to remember why Hosea is here for us. Hosea is this picture of us, of, of our life and God, our marriage to God, like us as a bride to this husband, a faithful husband who loves us, and us as very unfaithful people. And so this is really strong because this unfaithfulness, this sin, this turning from God is very strong. Well, well what's the, it also mentions here Israel and Judah. 
And if you remember from last week, we talked about this. Uh, there's, this is the history of God's people. There's a point where they divided into two kingdoms. Ten of the tribes of, of, uh, of God's people here went and formed Israel. They were ruled by Jeroboam. And then two of the tribes went to Judah. And that's where like Jerusalem is. This is a little map with our pictures that were actually taken in the time. These are actual Instagram photos of these guys at Jeroboam and at Rehoboam. Um, here's the problem. Israel, they say he has, he has a problem with Israel, right? He says Israel will be unloved because Jeroboam takes them to Israel. And he doesn't want his people anymore associating with these other tribes in Judah. And so he says, you know what? I'll make two places of worship. They, they used to have to go here to Jerusalem to worship. And he says, I'll make new places for them to worship, one in the north and one in the south. And I'll build like a temple there and they can go worship there. And this is the temple that he builds there. He builds a place with a golden cow and people go and worship that. This is the symbol of the like local gods. So he says, I'll, I'll make a place for them to worship Yahweh, but I'll make it look just like everything else, like the other ways people are worshiping. And so he leads his people to turn from God and be very unfaithful to God. This, this name, unloved, just shows how serious God takes this turning away from him. The, a worship of an idol, which might feel strange to us because we think, well, I don't like go. I don't have a golden cow at my house that I like kneel down to before. Maybe you do. I don't have one of those at least. I guess most of us don't have a golden cow, but we have many things we love to turn to, right? And say, oh, you're my hope. You're everything. Like if I can just have more of you, everything will be okay. Or I'm having a really tough time. I'll just turn to you. You'll make everything better. And if that thing isn't, our creator, God, our faithful husband, then it's an idol. And so God takes that very, very seriously. Well, let's see, they actually have one more kid. Maybe this one will have a sweet name like, like butterfly or rainbow. Well, she has another one. And uh, the Lord comes and says, yeah, call this one Loami, which means not my people. So we have... You have bloodshed, right? You meet, you meet Jose and Gomer, this family at Target when you're there. And you say, oh, yes, those, your kids are so sweet. What are their names? Oh, this is bloodshed. This is unloved. And this one's not my people. This one's, you're not my family. For you're not my people, and I'm not your God. This is serious. God is... Is, is using his family to illustrate the reality of what's happening, what, what it looks like when people continually are unfaithful and they take many other lovers when they turn from the creator and the one they're created to love and worship. And he says, when that happens, it brings death. It doesn't bring love. Those things don't actually love you. And it ultimately makes you not part of my family. You've run from God's family you brought death upon yourself and you've brought not being loved upon yourself. Tony Evans describes it this way. I really love his illustration of this. He describes what sin looks like and the seriousness of it with a flower. He says, the moment you pick a flower, it dies or at least is beginning to die because it has been separated from its source of life. Although it doesn't appear dead yet, it's on its way. The seeds of death are automatically built in 
to the breaking of that fellowship and that relationship. When you cut the flower from the tree or the vine, fellowship is immediately broken between the flower and the vine. If you hand someone a flower, you've just handed them a red or a yellow or a pink death. That's strong. Think about that, though. You cut a, a flower from its roots, from its source of life, and its, its story then from then on is ultimately death. God says, you have cut yourself away from me. You've decided to go look for other vines and none of them bring you life. You've chosen another one to marry, another idol to worship, another sin to cling to for your hope. You've cut yourselves off from life. This is really serious. God's reminding them right away in Hosea, hey, this unfaithfulness isn't just like, hey, I'm bummed that you don't want to hang out with me. Come on, guys. He's saying, this brings you death, and I want life for you. We see the seriousness in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve decide to turn from him and say, hey, maybe we can do this on our own, and they eat of the fruit. And he says, you actually have to leave the garden now. You're not, you're not my people, and now you have to experience death and hatred and sin and darkness. We see this in the story of Ananias and Sophia in in the book of Acts, it's a story of a couple who sells all of their possessions so they can give that money to the apostles to do the ministry that they're doing. And they actually decide to keep some of it. And they, Ananias goes first and is talking to Peter and he says, hey, here's all the money. And Peter says, why have you been letting Satan into your heart? He knows that he's been holding back some. He's not all in. Why have you done that? You've been cursed. And then he dies right there. And then his wife comes later not knowing what happened. And she says, hey, we sold everything and you have all of it. And he was like, do we really have all of it? And she too decides to take the same path and dies right there. This picture of like turning away, cutting ourselves from the vine brings death. And we even see this in the way Jesus talks in Matthew 7. He's talking to the Pharisees and the teachers. These are the religious leaders at the time. People who have set up really rigid, really really great for them, rules and laws, that if we just follow these and do everything right, that it will make God happy. If you just look right and do things right, that will make God happy and he won't be angry. But Jesus says the issue is not doing everything, looking right. Um, the real issue of sin comes from within. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't, you, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? You know, what is going on there? The disciples were just eating some food and they had not like ceremonial washed their hands or maybe just not washed their hands, right? You might be this, you might feel this way sometimes. If you've ever had a meal with somebody, you're like, you're gonna eat, you're gonna eat right now? Like that sandwich? We were just doing stuff with our hands in the garden, you know? And they say, oh, you can't do that. That would, that, that's, they're defiled, they're impure. Like this is a rule that you have to follow. Jesus, how could you let your, your disciples eat that food without doing all the right things? And he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. So he's talking about another prophet, Isaiah, who says, hey, there are going to be these people who are hypocrites who say one thing but aren't really that. And what Isaiah says is these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teaching are merely human rules. Isaiah's warning of this idea, like we follow the rules, we look good. I look like I'm a faithful bride to this husband, but I'm 
in my heart I am not. Jesus goes on in Matthew 7 to explain what he's talking about. Again, Jesus called the crowd to himself and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Now, people are concerned that people are eating the wrong kinds of foods. And if if they eat the wrong food, then God is not going to be pleased with them. God's going to rename them not loved and not my people. And he says, rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And then he goes on in verse 20. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder. You might think like, oh yeah, those people, they're bad. So adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly, gossip, lying, I love these lists. They always start real intense, like real big, and then they get down to like, oh, shoot, that's me too. Um, Jesus is saying all these evils come from inside and defile the person. He's saying out of your heart, what matters is where your heart's at, where your worship's at, where your hope is at. What is the motive that's coming out of that? He's saying this is, this is actually how we assess sin and our faithfulness is what's coming out of us. Not, are you eating the right thing and then God's happy, but what, what's happening in? And this is why this is real serious. God's not just saying, hey man, this isn't cool. Can we, could you stop doing that stuff or you worship the golden cat? Or can you stop doing this stuff where you need approval and so you talk poorly about some people? He's saying you weren't created for this and in fact you've been cut from the source of life, and you're on your way to death. You're on the way to hatred and bloodshed, death, being cut from the family, the source of life. I think for me, one of the sneakiest ways this happens in my life is that I spend time deciding who gets those names. One of the sneakiest things I think Satan does and convince me and sin, like just my own flesh, is that I go like, you're right, I gotta worship Jesus and I should probably spend a lot of that time deciding who is not, who, who isn't worshiping Jesus also. I, I can say, hey, look, those people drink too much. Let's name them, they're not God's people. Hey, I, I call those people, they read their Bibles so much and think they're awesome and that means they're not God's people. I call those people liberals. That means in English, they're not God's people. Or I call those people conservatives. That means they're not God's people. Those people have a certain sign in their yard or wear a certain t-shirt. Those people don't show compassion to this group. And so they're not my people. Or they're not God's people. Or they don't show enough compassion to the thing I'm about. I call these people potheads. That means they're not God's people. I call this person lazy, and that's to indicate to you they're not God's people. Or maybe I call those people workaholics to indicate to you I don't think those are God's people. I spend too much time, which is really any time, deciding who gets the names of not God's people, not loved. Who gets the title of death? instead of considering what's coming out of me, where is my heart and where is my worship? 
And so God takes this sin thing really seriously. And if I just said, all right, friends, we're done. Don't go do this. Go home now and don't worship golden cows. Don't sin. Um, I'd be failing you because I'd be doing exactly what God here is is calling out on these people, just saying, hey, just why don't we go make up some new rules, some new things so that we all look like we're worshiping God. And this is where Hosea goes from here. It has this great word that comes up next. It says, yet. That word also means but, it also means and, it also means hold on. Wait, just wait. I love this. Because if it stopped there, you'd go, we are in big trouble. We're a vase of flowers waiting to die. He says, yet the Israelites will be like the sand of the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. This is referring back to this covenant he made with Abraham where he says, there'll be so many people in my family, you're going to be able to count them. It'll be like all the sand or all the stars in the sky. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. So in this place that we see now, even geographically in this place of Israel and in Judah and Jerusalem, this place where you say, hey, you're not, you're not my family. In that place, something's going to happen and they're now going to be called the people of God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. There won't be this division anymore. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Great will be the day of Jezreel. The name Jezreel will no longer be connected to bloodshed and massacre. Say of your brothers, my people and of your sisters, my loved one. Do you hear what just, God says, uh, right now where you're at, you're named bloodshed, unloved, and not my people. But one day, one day there'll be restoration of the people. One day there'll be renewal of this covenant. One day there'll be reconciliation and divisions will be destroyed. One day there'll be a reinstallment of a king, a true king. One day you'll return to my land and you will be called brothers and sisters. You'll be family again. And Jezreel will mean something different. The name Jezreel actually doesn't mean bloodshed. The actual word Jezreel means God plants and grows. So a name that once meant bloodshed will mean God grows. A name that once meant unloved will mean loved. And a name that once meant not my people will now mean family. This isn't because uh, the people turned it around and stopped being silly. Stop being silly dogs, silly boys, (laughs) right? Poopers. They didn't stop being poopers. It's because of the person who came and became death shed their blood, became unloved, and became separated from God, far from God. And so this passage could could have just said, yet Jesus, seven hundred and fifty years after this moment, where Hosea has his third child, a Jewish man dies on a cross. His blood is shed. He's separated from God. There's no compassion. He's not their people. But he will not stay dead. He will rise from the grave, defeating death 
and sin, and he'll bring back God's people. God's unfaithful people will be brought again into relationship, reuniting God's kingdom, him sitting on his throne as the rightful king, the living God, not a deathly God who, who cuts us from our source, but the God who brings life. He will bring the people together. He will send his people out in this incredible way with this incredible news. This is what's, this is what's awesome. We we're, not, we're not in one of those kingdoms waiting. We know this has happened. And Jesus now calls us to gather. And now, this is really cool. In the Great Commission, at the end of Matthew, Jesus says, hey, I want you now, as we're in Jerusalem, in this place, I want you to tell everyone this good news, that, that you're loved, that you're my people, that death no longer rules over you. And I want you to tell people here, but then I want you to go to Samaria, which is actually the name for the what was the, the northern kingdom. I want you to go not just from Judah, but now to the northern kingdom and say, hey, we're all together in this now. And then I want you to go past there to the next lands and to the next lands and to the ends of the earth so that all will know the good news that the unfaithful bride has been brought back into relationship, has been made right. So that God's people, through Jesus' work, again can be called loved and can be called family. This is really, really good news. And all because of the work of Jesus. So as I bring up our worship team, they're going to help lead us through a time to just worship this God. Just say, hey, you're good for what you've done. As they want to head up, I have a few questions I want you to consider as we continue worshiping here. We're going to take some time to sing together, and then we're going to take a little time at the end of our service to pray together. Um, but first, I just want us to consider this as we worship. Uh, first, maybe you're someone who you, you don't know that Jesus has brought us back from the dead or, or, or brought us back from separation or, or freed us from sin. Today's a good day to, to bend your knee to say, I believe that. I, I want to put my faith in him and what he has done. Maybe consider what unfaithfulness or sin you need to turn from. And consider who will help you in that. Who can you confess that to and will help you turn from those things that don't bring life? To graft yourself back into the source of life. Do you feel like, question three, do you ever feel like Jezreel? Just turning away from God, maybe indifferent to God. Do you ever feel just unloved? It's hard to believe that God actually loves you or maybe you just don't, Maybe you just don't feel like you're part of God's people. Feel alone or distant. Consider that. Which one of those have you felt? And, and what truth from Scripture and the gospel is important for you to remind yourself? And also, as always, friends, who do you know who needs to know this good news? You, someone might even come to mind. Or are you ready this week for someone to need to hear that good news and you can, you can share that with them? You have the best news on the planet. Um, and we get to share that with them. Let me pray for us, and then we'll worship uh, Jesus together, and then we're going to take some time to pray um, all together. Lord, thank you for your goodness, that you took the name bloodshed and turned it into life, that you took the unloved and made us loved, and you took the far from God enemies and made us family. I pray we would take sin very seriously but we would rest in the great hope and the great news that you've rescued us from that. I pray this in your good, good name. Amen.